you know, I, we never had TV dinners, you know, in the sense yeah. we never sat in front of a TV and had dinner. You know, that's where we talked. That's where we ate together. I remember my mum giving my brother the biggest uh, row once. He'd gone up to the shops and bought a cake for himself. <laughs> and he came home just to eat it. <laughs> And he didn't offer it to her or to me and my sister. She went absolutely ballistic about how you bring food into a house, you share it with your family, how you, you know, and it was like, you know, and it was those things. And that's where you all talked. Welcome to Fortnum's Hungry Minds podcast. My name is Tom Parker Bowles, and I'm thrilled to welcome an old friend of mine, Angela Hartnett. To give you a bit of background on today's guest, not only is she one of the UK's most loved chefs and restaurateurs, she's also a household name and force for good in the hospitality industry. Angela is also a great friend and ambassador of Fortnum's. And for those of you who have visited the iconic food hall in Piccadilly, it would be hard to miss the queues of people waiting to devour the wonderful made-to-order pasta and sauces from Angela's flagship restaurant, Cafe Murano. Our topic for today's podcast is food for good. And what better time to discuss how food brings people and communities together when we need it most. We'll be discussing Angela's work with a wonderful not-for-profit initiative called Cook19. And since lockdown began, Cook19 have delivered over 50,000 meals to NHS key workers. And this number is rising by the day. So without further ado, hello, Angela. And let's start at the beginning as I'd like to hear how your love of cooking started. <laughs> how many times have we talked about this? That, that was uh, quite love, an intro yeah. as well, yeah. That was, I know. God, talk about bigging me up. <laughs> um, cooking at home, I think, probably a bit like you, Tom. You know, my mum was a really good cook. Her grandpa, her mother was a really good cook. Her mother-in-law was. And I think you just pick it up. And when you're very lucky, and I think like both of us were, to be brought up in a household that food was important. Not, and I hate the word foodie today. I mm. hate when everyone goes, I'm a foodie. It's just like my grandparents lived through the war. My mum was a war baby, so she lived through it. So they appreciated when they had no food, then to have food and and grow up cooking good food and good quality ingredients. And Italian as well. Italian, and that was the key. It always was about great ingredients. You know, it was very simple food, you know, simple pasta dishes, simple roasts, apple tarts, cakes, all the rest of it, but not fancy, nothing spicy, nothing out of the ordinary, but just bloody good produce. You know, that was the key, I think. And did you, I mean, that's a very Italian thing. Did you have like... English classics as well, you know, did you, was it all Italian food? No, no, definitely English classics. I mean, my grandmother, great, made so much great pasta, made bread, made savoury, could not make a cake to save her life. <laughs> she just couldn't, but my mum could. My mum's a great baker, you know, makes a great Christmas pudding, makes a great Christmas cake, makes a fantastic apple tart. And that's very, very English, all yeah. the pastry. She loves things like a suet pudding, my mum, you know, steak and kidney pie, all those things, which are very English. But, you know, very, very delicious when they're made well. And so at Christmas, for example, would you have turkey and, you know, or the, the classic regional Italian thing? Definitely. At Christmas, we have sort of a double meat feast. We have a broth, which we were made out of, you know, beef bones, chicken carcasses, oh, yeah. veal in there. And then we have a filled pasta with braised down veal and, and beef. Take the sauce, mix it with parmesan, mix it with breadcrumbs. So annalini is the dish. Yeah. Then we follow it with turkey and then we'll have Christmas pudding. My mum makes amazing mince pies, but then my aunt will make zambolione. You know, so it's a real sort of mix of a bit of everything. My day, the best day for me is the next day because I love all the leftovers. Yeah, yeah. So then you have mustard fruits with salami, cold turkey and all the cold veg. That's for me is the best day. 
And did you have it with all the preparation? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I still do it now. I mean, now we have it. It's much bigger now. We do it in one of the restaurants because there's always about 20. Yeah, well, there's always about 20 people plus for our Christmases. I mean, there's friends of ours that come that, you know, my local landladies come, yeah. Adam and Chew. You know, there's loads of people that it's not necessarily do it with their family. So I, I hate the idea because we've always, as kids, been really lucky to have family Christmases. And the idea that someone might be by themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I find that quite, like my neighbour, Tony, he was at home looking after, he lives with this guy and he was looking after the dogs. And, they, you know, and I said, well, just come for us. I, you know, I, and so it always extends. And I, my cousin or my uncle, I say, have we got any space at the table? Can I bring, you know? So, yeah, it's brilliant. And actually doing it in the restaurant, you've got all the equipment. The idea that you go home and it's done, you know, you don't have to clear and is it So, because yeah. obviously you're married to, to Neil, who's, an, yeah. who's, who, who's Scottish, another great chef, but the French house. So what does he do? So is it the two of you, or do you have a brigade? Uh, we have the two of us mainly. Then I have friends, like if my mate Adam comes, he'll help do it. You know, another friend, James, came one year, yeah. he did it. One year I did it with Neil, my brother-in-law, his brother-in-law and my brother. It was the worst Christmas ever. Because they just, and I mean this with all due respect, on too many cooks and too many men cooks <laughs> just make a mess. Then go, I've done that, and just leave their crap. And it's like, well, can you just tidy up? And I spend the whole morning just tidying up after. So I've never had that again. Now it's rigorous. But your your kitchen, yours and Neil's kitchen, is incredible. You know, yeah. I, I remember the, you know when a great friend of ours, Pat Noel, yeah, one of the great yeah, yeah. you know TV producers yeah. of all time. And I remember looking down there and seeing you, Jamie Oliver. Uh, who else was there? Gennaro, Gennaro Contado, Jeremy Lee, yeah. uh, Neil. Yeah. I mean, it was like a collection of mm. six or seven. Matthew and you were serving. We were serving, <laughs> yeah, Matthew it, 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 So that, that kitchen, so the kitchen's always been heart of the home. I think so, yeah, definitely. You know, that's that for me is, um, you know, I, we never had TV dinners, you know, in the sense yeah. we never sat in front of a TV and had dinner. You know, that's where we talked, that's where we ate together. I remember my mum giving my brother the biggest uh, row once he'd come back he'd gone off to Exeter Uni he'd come back and he'd gone up to the shops and bought a cake for himself <laughs> and he came home just ate it and he didn't offer it to her or to me and my sister she went absolutely ballistic about how you bring food into a house you share it with your family how you de- you know and it was like you know and it was those things and that's where you all talked you know yeah. and you lived together and we never did loads of we always celebrated birthdays, but we were never one of these families had massive parties, but yeah. we always ate together. That was hugely important across from my grandmother to aunts. And even now, you know, if we have it, we're all going out to eat on Sunday. Yeah. You know, we're going to a restaurant. So I've texted the family. Anyone want to come? Yep, we're all coming. Where are you going? Again. We're going to the Folkestone Wine Company. Oh, yes. I know that. That's, uh, yeah, got sorry. And Wilson. That's yeah, that, you've you? got to go. And they're really lovely people. Polly and uh, Dave, her partner. And he used to work at the Sportsman Dave. Yeah. And I've been banging on about it to my uncle and his partner and my aunt. I said, right, we're going we're gonna to stay at the pig, me and my mum. And then we're going to go and have lunch there. So it's a nice little weekend away. God, how nice. But, to, but talk about, you grew up, you know, in a house that loved food. You had Italian mm. and, and British, so yeah, t- two yeah. sides of it. So when you suddenly decide, right, that's it. I'm not going to go off and, I don't know, do the city or be in the yeah. oil or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to become a chef. Did you, yeah. Was that a conscious decision? You know, did you look up to Paul Bocuse or to, I don't know, Madame Poulier? <laughs> or, do you have any heroes? That I'm embarrassed walk? to say no, I didn't. I like the idea of owning a business. That's what I like the yeah. idea. I like the idea of... A, so the Italian side, all around cafes, fish and chip shops, all that sort of stuff. So I like the idea that you're your own boss, you you did your own sort of business, you looked after yourself and you made your own money. And that appealed to me, that side of just being in control. And then I basically went off to uh, Polly, studied history, and then started working in Cambridge and then moved up to uh, 
London eventually and started working for Gordon. And that's when food really cemented for me how big a deal it was. You know, I used to eat in the French house at the time. Yeah. Ironically, when Fergus and Margot were cooking, and that's why I loved going to eat. And that's when I started working for Gordon. You could not get two chefs so different in their cuisines. What, if you think what I love this is you're, you're jumping from working in Cambridge yeah. and stuff. <laughs> And then, and then going through Fergus Henderson yeah. um, and, and, and Margaret Henderson, you know, yeah. who obviously those two yeah. great chefs, and then on to Gordon Rose. So how did it jump? Suddenly you were, you were, you were just doing, what, line cooking? Or, or Yeah, basically I worked in a – it's now Midsummer House run by Dan. Oh, is it? I've been there. It's very, very and posh food. Yeah, very, very posh food. Yeah. And at the time it was owned by Chris Kelly, who remember the Good Food Show. Yes, so He yes. owned it with this guy, Hans Schweitzer. And, you know, it was the best restaurant in Cambridge. And I just started there as a waitress because I wanted to get into restaurants and then managed to convince Hans to take me in, no experience, into the kitchen. And I was quite good at it without being boastful. You know, I was confident but not overconfident. And I was never, and I still to this day am like that. And I think it's always put me in good stead. If I don't know something, I ask. Yeah. And it's unbelievable (laughs) how many cooks and chefs come into kitchens and try and pretend they know everything about food and it's like you know Neil will talk to me about stuff and I go what is that and especially when you judge something like the famous Rue scholarship yeah yeah so you know this has been going on for 30 years and I'll sit next to Brian Turner who's one of the chair of judges and I'll see what they've got and I'm like what the bloody hell is that Brian I've no <laughs> idea and he'll go and he'll look at me because you really I said I've never pretended to know everything you know because the food's fast I mean course, I always think yeah. and I'm not blowing your time and that's why I love when we've gone off to Asia together in Hong Kong you're a brilliant person to go with because your knowledge of that cuisine and is amazing. Well, I didn't know that. But, so, it, but you know. it's the same as you. you know, you're yeah. always learning, aren't you? Yeah, That's the thing. And this is the thing when people, oh, you know, we know it all. No one knows it all. No, no one knows. Yeah. You know. And it, you know, and that, that's the thing that men I do do tend to try and wing it a lot more. <laughs> but going going there from that kitchen, which is mm. it, suddenly into possibly the most competitive, if not mm. the most male charge or hormonally mm. charged kitchen on earth. This was a time when. Marco, Marco yeah. White and Gordon, it was all right to shout at everyone and burn mm. everyone and, mm. you know, mm. allegedly. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly you're going into what could be classes, well, certainly one of the most historically famous kitchens mm. of all time. What did you just walk in and say, hi, I've just done two years here, can well, I have a job? Yeah, I mean, it, was, it's, it is, it's, it was that thing, six degrees of separation. And was it aubergine, Ironically, by the way? It was aubergine yeah. at the time. Ironically, at the time, Gordon had even been looking with his, who was his girlfriend at the time, Tana, now his yeah. wife, with Chris, who went on to be his business partner, they were looking to buy Midsummer House. You know, they'd been, they knew about the restaurant. And then, you know, I basically wrote, sent my CV off to loads of places, off to Carluccio, Sally Clark's, you know, there weren't that many restaurants around, yeah. but focused in on Gordon. And I did a trial there and I really liked it. Bizarrely, I liked the fact he cared so much. Admittedly, the way he expressed that probably wasn't the best way of yeah. showing he cared. But he really did care. And what I thought was amazing was his his standards, his consistency. You know, nothing went out that wasn't correct. And that has always been, you know, just the way you put the fish on the paper, how you prep scallops, you know, how you prep vegetables. You know, he had such amazing standards and still does. And you see that in, it might not be everyone's favourite restaurants, but the way Royal Hospital Road sure. trains and delivers you know, that that was always set. And you can tell a chef that's worked in one of those kitchens, you yeah. know, they've just got it. But the, um, the, I went back there last year and I was blown away, actually. Mm. I, I slightly, I, I like Gordon very much. Lots yeah. of people don't, yeah. read him, but he, I always found he's nice, polite. You know, he, he's, yeah. he's, he does what he does. Yeah. But that restaurant, the standards, it really yeah. is. And I, I got a bit bored of posh food. Mm. And you go back there and think, 
He's a hell of a cook. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. Um, Matt is the Matt, chef. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's, yeah. it does deserve those three stars. But with that, in that kitchen, you always brush it off because you're mm. like, yeah, yeah, I just did it. But this was quite a, quite a, you know, a male. Yeah. And, and so were you the only female chef in yeah. that? I was the only female chef right until the end. Um, and I suppose I looked at different one. I'd, I'd missed all that hierarchy, like Marcus and Mark Askew. They'd started young in kitchens yeah, at Marcus 16. Wearing, yeah, Marcus Mark Askew, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, so they know that hierarchy of commie, CDP, sous chef, whereas I'd sort of missed all that. Yeah. So I just thought we were all on the same sort of, not level, but, you know, and I looked at Gordon as like someone who was just, I mean, he was only, he's only two years older than me. Yeah. You know, so I, I always was quite, would just say what I thought sometimes, which probably got me in a lot of trouble. But also I think Gordon liked the fact that I was quite, you know, there was this great time that I remember I was doing this terrines, you know, like, uh, you know, foie gras duck and something. Yeah. And um, and I and we had to do it just before service started. And once service started, there was no doing prep. You were in it, and you could not if you weren't ready. That was you screwed for the whole night. Yeah. So you had to be ready. We didn't, and I was like conscious. I had stuff to do, but I wanted to get this dream made. So I started rushing it, making it with Gordon. He got you know snapped like he does. Get off! We do it after service. Threw me off. You'll never make no tree again. A lot of expletives in the middle of this, yeah. you know, exactly. as you can imagine. You know, Freddie, my mate at the time, says, "What the hell happened?" Then he went to the loo, and now he's screwed us another moment. Yeah. And the end of the night, we had bizarrely this film crew in. It was something like ITV or BBC, and it was one of those news stories. It was like the cleanest plates in London. Yeah. So they were filming every plate, coming back to the kitchen, saying this was one of the most iconic restaurants. Yeah. Everything gets eaten. The rich and the famous dine here, and all the rest of it. And Dawn goes, get this tree out, and I just like get it all out. And I just stand there and start making it with him. And under his breath, he's basically telling me to F off, like yeah. knowing. He goes, I've told you, you're not supposed to be making these. I'm bullet to you about it. And I just thought, he's never going to shout at a woman in front of the TV. Yeah. Not a cat in hell. And he just stood there laughing at me, knowing. But I knew he loved that about me, that I'd push it a little bit. And that's how we've always, you know, we've always got on because I thought, you're not going to shout at me now. There's a crew there. I go, he goes, no, I'm not. I guess I'm going to bloody kill you tomorrow. <laughs> okay, yes, Gordon, yes, Gordon. You know? but I mean, yeah. who, who else was in that kitchen with you? It was a fairly, so, yeah, yeah you had Damien Allsop, who's yeah. an amazing pastry, uh, pastry chef and chocolatier. You have Marcus Waring, who we all know, master chef and everything else. Mark Askey, who went on to gain the three stars with Gordon at Royal Hospital Road. Freddie Foster, who's an ex-Ruth scholar. Oh God, loads of Sarge people. Sarge came, yeah, Sergeant. Sarge came through after. You had, you know, loads of people. I mean, it annoys me sometimes when everyone goes a bit anti-Gordon, and you know, when there was a whole like chef of the decade, and everyone was like very not Gordon. I said, but what you forget about Gordon is the legacy. Yeah. He might not be in a kitchen now, and fair play to him. Why, Why should well, yeah. he? He's fifty something. He makes, you know, his money on TV. But you know, if you look at all the chefs that went through from like Jason, me, Mark, Sarge, Just, everyone then has got all the chefs that work for them. That's his legacy, which I think is bigger. I think him and Fergus probably have the biggest like that, more than Heston. Heston, in lots of ways, great chef, but I don't think the legacy of what his chefs have gone on to do is quite the same of expansion. It's funny because you do get a group. I suppose you think of the Rude Brothers first, mm. don't you? Who who yeah. came from the, the Rollies yeah. and the and the you know lots of people try oh, us under the Rules. But... Gordon Marcus, yeah, well, exactly. Of course, there, yeah. Simon Hoxton, I suppose, had a yeah. good lot with yeah, Jeremy totally, and Henry yeah. Harris, but then Fergus, all those people. Who take the Fergus yeah, yeah, yeah. mantra? Uh, mantra yeah. out. He had the COVID nineteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he did say, and he was telling me the other day that he had this. He, you know, was, he was slightly sort of delirious and had this vision that he was in a water taxi with Tony Bourdain on the way to the gritty palace, and all he could see the whole time was a Negroni. 
<laughs> in the distance and he couldn't reach it. And he said, it, you know, he was oh. there in and out, you know, and he's, he's tougher. And, but, you know, this, I love the idea that he, he has this vision of a Negroni basically he in loves Venice. It. I love it. That was one of my lovely Fergus moments. We were all on a one big truffle trip with uh, our friend Mitch Tonks. Yeah. And, and they'd all gone off somewhere. And Fergus wanted to go that afternoon just for a lie down in the hotel. And I can't drink all day long. No, so I yeah. said, you know what, Fergus, I'll take you back to the hotel. I'll go and have a little snooze. Anyway, we're in the taxi again. He goes, mm, Negroni. <laughs> and we both of us snuck off to Harry's Bar in Florence. Had a lovely afternoon yeah. drinking Negroni. Everyone was livid with me, obviously, afterwards. Not Fergus. Yeah. Saying, where the hell are you? What are you doing? But he's great like that, Fergus. Going, going on to that, we're now through lockdown, hopefully, touch with what was it like, three months? Where, where were you in June lockdown? My friend Lulu started, as you spoke about, this charity, Cook 19. So she basically was at home. She works on films. Every, all her work stopped. She went home to live with her dad, saved money on rent. Yeah. And then started cooking. She'd invited a mate round who was a doctor. And he goes, well, I can't come around because of COVID. And she suddenly realised, you know, and I think none of us were quite sure how serious it was in yeah. the first week or so. And when her mate said, I can't come around because I'm on the COVID ward. And, she, and so Lulu goes, well, you know what? I'm at least make you some food. I'll drop it outside your house. And then you've got it. And she started just doing it. And I spoke to her sister who told me. And I said, well, let me help you, Lulu. So I started doing it from my kitchen at yeah. home. She was in Beaconsfield at her dad's house. And her dad would drive between both our houses. And then we basically spoke to friends of mine who I've worked with before, Smart Hospitality. And I said, look, we want to expand this. We want to go massively into hospitals. And, um, and they've got the big production kitchens. And yeah. so we went from doing Lulu and I 30 little care packages that we were sending to doctors and nurses' houses to about 1,000 meals a day. And then Hawksmoor came on board. Um, Oaxaca came on board. Um, six, 36 Grains came on board. You know, Derby's came on yeah. board. All these different restaurant groups doing their little bit. You know, Hawksmoor would do two days for us. Derby's would bake the bread for us. So everyone came together and did their bit. And, you know, it was all voluntary. No one got paid. Uh, and then loads of people gave up their own time. You know, they had people like Dominic Cooper was yeah. one of our drivers. <laughs> he'd come every day, collect his stuff, and he'd always deliver to Charing Cross Hospital. Yeah. So what we were doing is delivering a hot meal, vegetarian or meat, to the the guys who had come off these COVID wards. And literally and on the, on the, on the on sort the, of front. Mm. And that's, that was, again, back to the power of good food. Mm. You know, that that you and, and Robin Gillett, Darby's, mm. you know, yeah. you're getting some of the best chefs in the country mm. making it. So how many, was it more than that? that I think we got up to about 55,000 in the end. I mean, it was hysterical. Some of the lovely letters we got. One of the doctors, and he said, you know the food we get? It's, it really is delicious. I mean, if any of these people who are cooking go into the restaurant world afterwards, I would highly come around. <laughs> <laughs> and Lily didn't have the heart to go, well, actually, you know, you've got some quite big names cooking your food at the moment. But it's just, it was brilliant. And, it, you know, and although we did it, that we didn't all do seven days a week. I did a couple of days, Derby's did, you know, we all yeah. did different times. So it was great in that respect. Was it all funded by yourself? Or who no, paid? no. What we did was raise money. You know, we set it up as a non-profit organisation, eventually into a charity. And that is the power. There's a lot of bad things about things like Instagram and stuff, but there's a lot of good. Of course, and once yeah. we put it out there... People like Fortnum's themselves, you know, you inventors, you know, straight got on the phone to me, said, what do you need? And, you know, so when it, because obviously it was Easter time, yeah. Easter, he sent something like 500 Easter eggs. So we took Easter eggs to all the hospitals, you know, loads of people like that, loads of companies that obviously had shut down, said, we've got food that is virtually on. It's not sell by date, but if yeah. we don't use it in the next month, we can't. Can you use it? You know, people like Audrey Allen, Butchers people like HG Waters, any supplier that was sitting on produce that they couldn't use. Cheesemongers like, you know, La Fromagerie, yeah. they would do an English cheese board up. Yeah. Every time they sold one, they'd give us a profit of £5. 
So, you know, it was amazing how everyone did their bit. And and then also people shouldn't feel, because loads of people going, oh, I want to help. But it's like, not everyone should feel they can help or should feel they should yeah. help because you all deal with it differently and you have to do deal with it in your own world. And it's a bit like how we're all coming out of lockdown. You and I both said we ran and go, God, have we got a mask today? Because yeah. I'm not wearing one. Yeah. But I'm going to do it if it makes other people feel comfortable. But I don't need to wear one because I'm quite happy going out well, as I want to. And that, that's the same in the mask. That, you yeah. know, if it stops other people getting it, absolutely understand it. And it's yeah. about thinking. But this is what I found about the whole lockdown. That begin with, oh, no, you know, the world is coming to an end. Mm. But what you saw, I mean, I certainly saw, like you saw in the food world, not mm. just, you know, the likes of you and Hawksmoor and all sorts of different mm. restaurants and chefs coming together yeah. and Fortnum's helping. But... What started off, I remember I did a series of interviews with, with lots of farmers and producers. At the beginning, they're like, this is it. Yeah. Overnight, we're 90%, we, we are, let's say a cheese market, let's say Graham yeah. Kirk. Kirk yeah, and cheese. Yeah, yeah. We supply to the, to, to the trade, 90%. Overnight, I've got 30 cheeses and they're just going to go off. This is yeah. all for Jamie Montgomery. Mm, mm. And then suddenly, bit by bit, with the help of people looking into it, they started doing English cheese boxes. People started, yeah. started to support people. Uh, farmers began to like ship to mill, for example, started getting more mm. people in and just working consumer. And mm. by the end, you know, they managed to survive, yeah. not just through the support of the British public, mm. but through thinking about it, turning on a yeah, sixpence yeah, yeah. and getting on with it. I think food became such a big thing. I remember talking to um, Marina McLaughlin from the Times. And stuff, and I oh, yeah, saying, you did what you did in yeah, live class. I love that. Yeah. Thing. And they were great. And I was laughing with her and I said, oh, God, food's become ridiculous, all these sourdoughs. And she goes, yeah, I get where you're coming from, Angela. But she said it right. She goes, the problem is no one's going out. Yeah. So your day was spent around your three meals. That's what everyone planned. What they're having for lunch, what they're having for dinner, what yeah. they're drinking. So it became this whole focus for a lot of people that maybe didn't focus on it as normally as they would. So I think all the suppliers, I think definitely there's a movement to support all the British suppliers. Yeah. I think especially with the, the, the fact we're coming out of Europe, you know, yeah. people are... Make sure you're buying all your local meat, your local fish, vegetables. You know, even I've gone back, we're about to... on. We always do Italian cheeses for an Italian yeah. restaurant. But I said, actually, we're going to put some British cheeses on now because I want to support the British cheesemaker. Yeah. So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Not you not. don't have to justify it. Um, you know, if we can get stuff locally and British, we're going to do it. We're not going to necessarily import from Italy, not because we don't want to support them, but we, you know, I think yeah, there's course, an obligation yeah. to support locally. But all these things that are showing Britishness in yeah. Scotland and Wales mm. and in, in Northern Ireland and England, you've seen yeah. people turn it around. You know, mm. whether, whether it's the cheesemakers, whether it's the farmers, whether I mean the yeah. butchers. Thank God, we're, good butchers yeah, are being yeah, rewarded no. by having yeah. you know yeah, exactly. one of our favourites, HG Waters, yeah. been doing these sort of mashup kits. So you'd have HG Water and Patty and yeah, Barn, yeah, and they were yeah. great. And mm. so, do, do you think this will carry on though after lockdown? I think so because I don't think everyone's come out of it. I mean, central London is still very quiet. I still think London will be the last city probably to get back to normal. Yeah. So I think there's definitely still a market for it. And also I think there's there's something also nice. Even though I cook for a living, I can go and buy stuff. I quite like the idea. Like we've Baron Jack, which is a wonderful yeah, yeah. kebab restaurant. They do amazing takeaway. You know, I've ordered it twice in lockdown. Jim Carner, you know, yeah, yeah, the yeah, so. JKS group have really thought about it. They, they're doing it. the bow buns yeah. as well, aren't they, from bow? I mean, why wouldn't you? If you can sit at home in your garden, why go to it? You know, there's a lot to be said for it. And it I think is, but on the other hand, if people aren't, if you think of the big law firms are big, accountancy firms, yeah. the city, the city must be you know a nightmare no, because no. if no one's coming yeah. back in there's nowhere to i mean what where we live which i yeah. suppose is the more residential areas yeah, of east sure. and west london yeah. people have lived there the whole way through lockdown yeah. the local restaurants are doing mm. fine you come here you come i mean 45 was pretty full last yeah. week 45 german street part of fallen but i've been to places that 
you know, they've opened and there's just no one there. You've either got to be very popular or... Yeah. I mean, is there anything else you can do? Because you've got to put in... Have, have you? I mean, everyone's got to raise prices, haven't they, or uh, not? Well, I think everyone's probably, especially with the VAT rebate, everyone's probably kept their prices reasonable. I think what you have to do is just make sure you staff it. And the people I reckon that have opened, like us, have got good rent deals. Yeah. We've got good landlords that are looking yeah, but after But you're us. lucky, you see. That's what I mean. Not yeah. everyone is. We've... Um, We've brought most of our staff back. The rest we can't. We've kept on furlough. And we've basically said, you can all come back, but you all come back part-time because there is no full-time job because yeah. of business. You know, we've shut two days a week every restaurant, whereas normally we'd be seven days a week. And we've reduced our opening hours because, again, you stand here 10 o'clock at night on a Thursday, which normally would be buzzing in Piccadilly and St. James. Yeah. It's quiet. So why keep your restaurant open till nine o'clock? But ironically, Bermondsey, yeah. we sort of shut and said, oh, actually, we'll shut at nine, keep the hours. But now we, we've opened them. So just open until 10, 11, because the custom's there. There's a hell of a lot of other industries. Are equally True, as yeah. bad. We're and, not the only and one. And you think of theatre. Yeah, think, we're yeah. a massive part of it, admittedly. But I think now, to me, I'm like, all right, let's do it. Let's, you know, open up. Let's see how it goes. Yes, there may be casualties. I might have to close one of my restaurants. No one wants to. But I think we have to start getting going and moving forward and just see where we're at and, and have the confidence. I think that's the thing. And I think even if it's not central government, I think where London struggled is you've got central government saying one thing, then you've got the mayor saying another and they're contradicting yeah. each other and London's in the middle. And that's what's going to screw us over eventually. If they don't get, you know, people going back on public transport fearless and feeling that actually it's absolutely safe to do it, and they don't start pushing businesses back. It's no good a month ago saying don't work from home. One of them saying work from home, the next thing no. is going, actually, everyone go back to work. It's just like, come on here. So there is hope. Yeah, yeah. We, We've gone through this this unprecedented three months, mm. which for me has shown how, how communities can come together, mm. how we're not all at yeah. each other's throats, how, how we're sure. not a world built on yeah. hate. But, you know, there's enough hate out there. But exactly. coming together and look at the positives, it, we came out okay, but... Are you cautiously optimistic for the next year? I've, yeah, I'm hoping by Easter we'll be semi back to normal. Semi. Yeah. I mean, that's how we're looking at it. No, not to make money. We just want to break even. As long as we don't lose money, we could be fine. Talking of Fortnum's now, you've got your concession. Mm. It's a Cafe Murano concession yeah, yeah, in there. Yeah. And that, before lockdown, you could hardly get through. You know, yeah, it was yeah, fresh yeah. pasta mm. and sauces made at Cafe Murano and just brought over No, no, here. they make them all here. We train the staff and they do oh, everything really? to our recipes and we come and check it. No, they're brilliant, the guys down there. All Italian guys and they make phenomenal pasta, really good. And would you ever think of moving, you know, of because of, you're talking about sending it to your friends, mm. the pasta you make, is that another way of making it a bit more we, income? We, we, Chris and I did, uh, Chris is my managing director, we did a takeaway for, since middle of May from Bermondsey. Yeah. Still going, we do it through the website Slurp. And basically, it's still, it's done really well. And what we don't, we don't do hot pasta that you buy and then order. So it's not ASAP. Yeah. We make the pasta, we make the sauce, and then you finish it at home. Okay. And it works really well. And it sells and it's still selling well. And we, you know, we made a nice little profit doing that. It was good. And in terms of Italian food, when I grew up in, you know, I used to come to London to my, with my, my, my grandma, and we used to go to places like La Fontana and San Rafilo and all Gigi those. And all exactly. Those, yeah. And those were very much, I suppose, mm. British Italian restaurants. And yeah. you get out an avocado hair with vinaigrette as much <laughs> and it would have everything in there you know and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. white sauces is it now you know our friend Matthew Fox was moaning oh you know I there aren't yes. enough Italian yeah. rest proper Italian oh, do you feel now that there are some really good Italian restaurants I think that's in the amazing country? I think one of the best ones for me I think is Bocca de Luca. I, love I think, what, yeah, Jacob Kennedy, I think yeah. what Jacob does is brilliant I think his food I think it's really probably the most authentic there is out there 
listen, I think the River Cafe is great. Yeah, I love the River Cafe. You know, I think Giorgio, obviously, you know, he's, you know, the godfather to use a naff phrase. You know, yeah. he's very authentic as well. And I think we do great stuff, but I wouldn't say we're the most authentic, you know, because when you go to Italy, and that's where probably Matthew is absolutely right, is everyone's so regional. Yes, of course, Unless yeah. Unless you're in a hotel, you would never have stuffed pasta down in the south. You would never have Vongolay in the hills of yeah, you know, yeah. northern Italy. Whereas here, you can be in central London, you have a stuffed pasta next to crab linguine. We mash it all up, but that's we're a central, we're a metropolis. Of course we're going to. And also authentic. Yeah. What is authentic? You know, yeah. If you think of pizzas, it's not the same water, it's not the same air. No, it's, you know, course, it's, all, yeah. it's all... But so you don't... With Murano, yours... Because it never feels, although it's very posh, yeah. you know, it never feels... Yeah. Uh, you know, you Stuffy, still have classic. Yeah, this, yeah it's yeah. still classic regional Italian yeah, cookery, yeah, but yeah. with a bit of no, it's great. And I like Murano because it's really relaxed. You know, even though you're sitting with tablecloths and nicely spaced tables, and you're in Mayfair, it still should be really chilled. Very, you know, you know, we put strawberries as petit four or cherries. You know, yeah. you get lovely breads with hams when you sit down, and that's how it should be. I think. Anytime you go to a restaurant, it's too stiff. You're in trouble. Totally. And talking about what are your favourite, I mean, a few of your favourites across the country, you know. Oh, Christ. Well, I, I love the seahorses. I love Folkestone Wine Company. Yeah. I think what they do is brilliantly. In town, I think you've got bread and wine. Love bread and it's wine, fantastic. Yeah. You know, I love uh, I love Barafina. I like Bovardis. You know, so any any place, you know, I love Ellison Street. I love Phil's food. You yeah. know, it's rich. But and this is Phil Howard. Yeah, 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 Phil Howard. You know, so there's loads of restaurants. We're really spoiled, you know, in London. And dine-ins I went for the first time before lockdown, which was that brilliant Japanese That's no, great, place. Japanese Peruvian, oh, yeah. amazing, it's really, so really good. But it's, it, London's a good place to eat without... But I, I do feel that, you know, trying to have Britain's a good place as well. There's mm. lots of places outside of London that are really, yeah. really, you know, you yeah. talk about the, 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 uh, the sportsmen and, yeah. and there are places that you can... It used to be just in the cities, didn't mm. it? In a few posh, rather staid country house hotels. Yeah, yeah, but, sure. you know, for example, Limewood. You've yeah. got, which is for me, and I'm not being because we all love Robin, but I just think it's one of the best hotels in the world. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's comfortable and lovely. And yeah, you know, by the way, I do pay my way there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> despite, but it is, and you can just be relaxed. But yet, yeah, your restaurant there is, what, the two of you? Yeah, Luke Holder, he's the head chef yeah. there. And, you know, he oversees all the food and beverage there. And he's brilliant, Luke. And, and Luke's an amazing chef. Yeah. And, and when Robin sort of first came to me, Robin Hudson, and he said, you know, do you want to do it? Do you want to come on as a consultant? And it's not consultant in that word that you yeah, just yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know as you say you know you pay your way I work for the money I earn there and, yeah. and, I, and I said well let's see if I get on with Luke and can he sort of cook and actually Luke's in a brilliant chef I put him on a par with like the likes of my husband Neil and the likes of Mitch you know they're yeah. all great chefs yeah. But, you know, Luke would never, and he'll admit this now, couldn't write a menu properly, you know. And that's an art in itself, I Exactly, think, yeah. and that's where I sort of bring other skills in. You know, I don't need to teach him how to cook a steak. He knows how to do that. But I can look at a balance and how he, he manages his team and all the rest of it. And, you know, we work really well together. And, you know, he's got amazing suppliers. But it's about simplicity and not complicating it. And, and he really wants to use all British suppliers. Yeah. I mean, he's probably got about 50, 60 suppliers. You, know, you have one just for chicken, another for just veal, another, you know, and that's fantastic. That's what Lyman's about. But, you, I mean, going back to that thing, you talk about, you know, that he's a really good cook, a fantastic, which he is a fantastic cook, but yet, you know, the balance of the menus, mm. that's what people forget. People mm. assume, you know, you're a restaurateur as well. People assume that all you do is, so easy you go in you see what's in the fridge you cook mm. it up forever and that's it but it's mm. a lot more being a restaurateur and even even running a kitchen isn't it it's, it is it's, and it's also as well i think and robin always says it about a hotel you've got to have on your menu something for and a hotel restaurant menu is very different from a restaurant restaurant yes. menu like i see you'll always say you've got to have something for when someone drives down friday nights through traffic 
and they arrive at 10 o'clock. What do you want? You want steak and chips? Yeah. You know, you want something like a roast chicken. You don't want fancy food. You yeah. want something that's stable, a fish pie. So, you know, that's where Luke has to offer a bit of both. You know, he might not have it on the, if you like, the heart and holder menu, but he'll have it available somewhere else in the hotel if someone wants it. Or what does someone, when they have two or three nights stay, they don't just want rich food for three nights yeah, in a row. You enough, want something yeah. light as well. So that's the art of writing a great menu in a hotel. And that's where Robin, his influence as much as mine is all over the menus as well. You know, for people who are wanting to get into the industry, I mean, what, you know, you always ask for your advice. You've done it. You've fought the hard way. Mm. It? But it's not easy, is it? No. You know, you've got to be like anything. You've got to be prepared to work your ass mm. off. And what, what would you do if you wanted to become, go into a kitchen? What do you, what, what are you looking for? for someone who... I, would, I would say one, I mean, I hate, you know, the enthusiasm. Yes, but that's important. Willing to yeah. learn, yeah. willing to learn and actually not come in thinking they know it all. Grafter, you know, you want someone who's going to work. And also I would say someone who's got staying power. I know that sounds right, but anyone that came to me that suddenly said, actually, I've done two years at, for instance, the Gavroche, yeah. you know, by doing two years, they'll have done all the sections, whereas so much now is six months, three months, four months. And it's like, you can't see a kitchen in a year, in three months. You've got to see it in a year from winter where you get all the root vegetables to, you know, the summer, you get all the fruits and all the rest of it. I think to me, stay in power and seeing that on a CV that they've been with a chef for a while says a lot about someone. And that's why, I've, you know, I stuck with Gordon for years, you know, in his company but, you know, I worked for Marcus for a good three or four years because you want to see how things develop when yeah. I work with Giorgio. You know, you want to see winter where you get the truffles. Did you? That was the first time really? I'd ever experienced white truffles. Wow, you and Giorgio, Giorgio. together. That, that's, like, that's like a sort of, yeah. They, he used to think I was mad because they, they had this, it was a really horrible, not a horrible kitchen, but it was all sort of higgledy-piggledy, Zaffirano. And they had this like two steps down to a floor where I used to make the pasta. And when I think I mutter, and the one time I turned around, they're all standing there. They said, Maguada, son of Mata, you know, because all they could see was me muttering. They should just speak into the pasta machine. So I was rolling away having a little conversation. Yeah. But Giorgio's brilliant. I learned so much from him. And Giorgio's one of the words I used for Luke when I first saw I said, superfluous. Don't put anything on a plate that's not needed. And yeah. Giorgio is that. He never puts anything on a plate that you're not going to eat, and it works for every dish. I love George. I love him. I love his food. I love him. But also, he he tends to, you know, because he's a nice good man, he keeps people like you do. People stay, but stay loyal. And it's not a shouty kitchen there, right? No, no, no. He's a great guy. He's great. And it's just enthusiasm, his drive. It's just amazing. If you want to get into it and do it, work hard, be enthusiastic. And stick with someone for a while. Okay. Well, we could bang on and on and on, but you've got to go. You've got an empire to run, (laughs) Anne. <laughs> you have, you love it. Um, anyway, our time together has come to an end. But before we go, I'd like to run through a series of quick questions that we'll be asking each of our podcast guests. So here we go. Now, this is very suitable for Fortnum. Describe your perfect cup of tea. I don't like tea, I like coffee. I love that. Actually, Darjeeling is. I like Fortnum's Darjeeling. What's your most joyous memory when it comes to a meal? Oh, sitting with family and friends yeah. without doubt. It's it's not it, the food is important, you know, if you have a bad meal, but it's it's the company and that whole experience. What food or drink do you wish you'd invented? Oh Christ, sassicaya, <laughs> um, Negronis, yeah. um, you know, bread, you know, loads. No, I'd I'd love to really make cheese, I have to say. I'd like to is properly Actually, and one thing I didn't do in knockdown, which annoyed me, is I wanted to go and work with a couple of butchers, like go to HG Walton yeah. and spend a couple of days there. And I never got around to doing it, but I will do that. Just spend like with an amazing, like my, you know, Michael Gock or someone who's an amazing cheese maker. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. really learn how to do it. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd yeah. like to do something like that, real start to finish. What's the best way to eat bread? 
oh god tear it and dip it into something you yeah know, mop up the sauce. It, that is because a lot of people with you know think it's bad to i mean i use my finger to clean the paper oh, trust, yeah, which no, is apparently I'm bad totally. form but but bread you see that and i was talking to someone who grew up in england in like 50s yeah. 60s and you didn't use bread for yeah. that you have to be very smart and use a butter knife and all yeah, that yeah. whereas bread's there to mop scapetta, it all up isn't it? they call it yeah in yeah english in, in italia scapetta when you sort of clear the plate with your bread it's a sign of respect what's been your biggest disaster in the kitchen God, uh, definitely an aubergine day where I managed to um, overcook the creme brulee, split a vanilla anglaise, made sweet pastry that covered the pastry because the butter was too hard when I put it in the machine. And in the process of cleaning up, switched the freezer off so the sorbets all melted for lunch. That was in one morning. I mean, poor Damien, how he's still friends with me after all these years. He just, I remember him eating his star food, literally going, I mean, everything she touched this morning was just, I mean, every single thing she touched. The poor guy was on his knees. But as he also said, that was your worst day and you've always got better since that. I never got as bad as that. It was just one of those panicky moments. It was Gordon there? Gordon was there. Fortunately, Damien and I managed to hide enough from him. But he obviously knew about the sweet pastry. Damien's so smart, he had backup in the freezer, thank God, of the sorbets. But we had to make new anglaise, new brulees. I had to run to the local supermarket, buy more cream, all that. So hide it all from Gordon so he never knew. <laughs> and you got away with it. Yeah. Uh, Fine, what music do you listen to, if you listen to music when you cook at home? Oh, I like listening to sort of 70s. I like things like, uh, oh God, yeah, anything that's that sort of, you know, Motown-y sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. and stuff. Anything. I love the House Martins. I like sort of some of those. 80s classics yeah. like, as well so anything that you can sort of that's chilled I'm not into opera or anything like that when I'm cooking Well, that's it for now. Thank you so much, Angela. It's been a true pleasure, as ever. Um, and thank you to everyone who's tuned in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast series, Fortnum's Hungry Minds, to hear conversations and lively debate around new ideas, knowledge, and the joy of real food. 